The war between the Daleks and the Time Lords threatens all reality. You are the only hope left. Oh, of course. They were afraid. But why did everyone always expect him to be a soldier? It's not my war, he said. I will have no part of it. You can't ignore it forever. Ignore it, he thought. No one in the universe could exactly ignore a war that was taking place at every moment in history at once. I help where I can. I will not fight. Because you are both such squalid practicalities as the business of warfare. What will it take, Doctor? The whisper continued. How many more will suffer and die before you act? It begged of him. O'Hila was moving among the goblets again. Strong or fast? She was asking. Wise or angry, what do you need now? Blood and rage thundered in the doctor's ears. To his own surprise, he noticed he was unclipping the bandolier from around Cass's still form. Was he doing that? It didn't feel like him. He was now holding the bandolier in front of his own eyes, as if through his inspection. It was cleaner than the rest of her clothes, and been repaired many times. Obviously, it had been of great value to her, and she had worn it to the end. Someone, somewhere, would have been happy to know that. Warrior, he heard himself say. O'Hila was staring at him. Warrior? I don't suppose anyone needs a doctor anymore. Make me a warrior now. It was his voice, but how could those be his words? It felt like someone else was talking through him. O'Hila was passing him a goblet. I took the liberty of preparing this one myself. It was warm in his hands, and the smell was bitter one moment and sweet the next. Get out, he said, all of you. He heard the shuffle of feet. The sisters were moving deeper into the shadows. Will it hurt? he asked. O'Hila's voice seemed to come from a great distance. Yes, she said. Good, he replied. The goblet was almost at his lips now. One last farewell to the man he had been. Physician, heal thyself. The doctor drank the poison and walked into the storm. That was a reading from The Day of the Doctor by Stephen Moffat. So that's the book. What's the breakfast? Well, we've time-travelled back to the halcyon days of the 11th Doctor era. So there could be no other breakfast. Are fish fingers a breakfast item? At this stage, <laughs> who cares? Time is an illusion. Breakfast time, probably so, as we said uh, on our Hitchhiker's episode. And this is a book where the chapters aren't even in chronological order. So do we need to have our meals in chronological order? Do we need to even have meals? I mean, is, is fish fingers and custard a meal? Is well, it a meal? It is. is it food? Yeah. 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 Fishless fingers, I hate to yes, add. Green course. cuisine, yeah. fishless fingers. Um, but that's okay, because whatever Matt Smith was eating in his debut episode, The Eleventh Hour, um, they, like, they weren't real fish fingers either. I remember them saying some sort of prop food. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what they were. I have no idea. Hmm. I, this is sad. We've already... I mean, we're doing a Doctor Who episode, which is dangerous, so we're already going off on one. <laughs> but I remember an episode of Doctor Who Confidential at the time when they were touring screenings of The Eleventh Hour. And uh, someone like Matt Smith and Karen Gillan had a bet to who could get the word blueberries into their interview. <laughs> and someone said, were you eating real fish fingers? And he said, no, I don't know what they were made of, blueberries or something. And <laughs> so we're not eating blueberry fish fingers, but we are eating fish fingers because, I mean, if I have to explain that, then this is not the episode for you. I mean... Right in the beginning of this book, the fish custard is referenced, you know... <laughs> When we were planning the first season, season? Series? Tranche. <laughs> when we were planning the 2022 episodes of A Book at Breakfast, I was really eager to do Day of the Doctor. And you said, wait. <laughs> um, and you uh, you sort of talked me down. I was, I was so eager to do it. But you said, quite rightly, so, well, why do it in 2022 when... In 2023, it will be the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. And of course, for anyone who doesn't know, and why are you listening to this? <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, the Day of the Doctor was the triumphant 50th episode. 50th anniversary. <laughs> it's, it's, it's no, it's like the 550th yeah. <laughs> episode. 
Um, well, that's interesting because where do you count Day of the Doctor? Because technically, it comes well, after the t- yeah. after the TV movie, mm. the TV movie Night of the Doctor, and then the War Doctor, and then Rose. You know, you can't, you can never watch all the episodes in order again without having to at least do Day of the Doctor twice, if not three times. I'm not ruling out that they could backtrack and do a whole Paul McGann series that precedes it as well. But then oh this God. sort of speculation the of the is exactly what people don't sign up for to listen to this <laughs> podcast, I'm sure. Anyway, sorry, yes. Day of the Doctor, the spectacular... Um, I, I, it's been 10 years, I still don't have any words. It but, doesn't seem like it. And we saw it at the cinema in 3D. So not only is it the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who, it is the 10th anniversary of Day of the Doctor. Uh, and... I oh just hearing you read that before mm. and sat here looking at my Day of the Doctor novelization <laughs> with the Target logo on the cover like just just goosebumps just absolutely you know to think that we got a fiftieth anniversary with John Hurt as the Doctor to yeah. <laughs> to, to think that that it would be novelized and released as a Target book and to think that ten years later we'd be here anticipating the sixtieth anniversary when David Tennant will be back again it's a very good time to be a Doctor Who fan and just to reflect on a time that it wasn't a good time to be a Doctor Who fan I'm just thinking Look, back dimensions to the... <laughs> in time is brilliant <laughs> sorry. Well, I was, I was thinking back to the 40th anniversary, which objectively should have been a good time to be a Doctor Who fan, because mm. it had been announced that it was coming back, but it was, seemed so distant at the time. It really did. We couldn't yeah. get a handle on it. And I remember buying Earthshock on DVD, <laughs> and it had like a 40th anniversary sticker on the front. Aww. And there was a little... Um, all the DVDs that came out that year had a little clips reel with the orbital oh, version of the Doctor Who theme played in the background. very, very cool. It was great. Yeah. It, it was really cool. Um, but... It's amazing, like, you know, we got thrown a few bones the 40th year, but what Mm. we've got for the 50th and what we've got to look forward to for the 60th is just amazing. I can't believe, like, what a a wonderful era it is to be a Doctor Who fan. Because we're old, not as old as Kevin Lyons, (laughs) but um, (laughs) we remember the 30th anniversary as well. And that was a really, even though Doctor Who wasn't on telly in 1993, it was still a really exciting time. There was so much stuff coming out. And all right, I mentioned Dimensions in Time, which was a comic relief 3D Doctor Who EastEnders crossover. Um, that wasn't, you know, but when you're seven years old, that's the most exciting thing in the world. Let me tell you, John Pertwee was back on the telly. You know, it was when you're 37 years old, <laughs> you'll take what you can get. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, the 40th, I remember there was a sort of a sad little documentary on, on BBC and mm. there was no mention of Russell's forthcoming mm. doctor. I just remember um, right at the end of the documentary, they had Colin Baker saying, uh, and I believe they're bringing it back now, which is nice. <laughs> Mind you, I suppose it was a whole, you know, year and a half away from Rose and they kept it so secret. And I wonder if the documentary had been shot before they actually recommissioned oh, it. They and maybe they just up. like bolted on that Colin good Baker point. interview. T- talking of Rose, actually, I remember reading something with uh, Russell T Davies where he was saying, obviously, we had no knowing that there would even be a second series at first, um, uh, you know, would 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 Doctor Who work in 2005? And I remember him saying, and I, I couldn't help it, I was doing doing the maths in my head and I worked out that the 50th anniversary would fall on a Saturday. And I thought, <laughs> surely not. And there it was. There it was. Well, so back to what I was saying. I really wanted to cover this in our first series, but you quite rightly said, no, this has got to be a bells and whistles episode for the 60th anniversary. And also, Chris, this is a podcast about books, and yet we seem to be talking about a TV programme. We're not doing this again. (laughs) (laughs) If for some reason you don't know what we're on about, um, the best place to start would probably be an episode we did back in May with Kevin Lyons, who I affectionately called old earlier only because you can't talk to kevin for more than five minutes without him reminding you how he saw all the great stuff when it first came out before you were born um we did a wonderful episode with kevin uh all about the target book range which are doctor who novelizations so i won't go into all that again but i've actually especially to celebrate the doctor who anniversary i've put together a playlist on spotify of Mm. all the book at breakfast doctor Who episodes Mm. um so i'll put a link to that out with the show notes to this go back we did one on rose we did one on the demons and we did 
a whole episode just about Target books. So yes, this is a novelization, which means we won't do the normal thing at the end of discussing adaptations. So I guess we start at the beginning with the episode itself, which aired on the 23rd of November 2013, and we saw it at the cinema in 3D. Oh, yeah. I was just uh, I was revisiting this episode in various forms, this story in various forms uh, before... Just eating a fishless finger. Recording this podcast. Um, and I was listening to the audiobook version. I've been dipping in and out of the novel. And then at the weekend, I said to my partner, would you care to watch mm. the uh, the 50th anniversary episode of Doctor Who that was on 10 years ago? And I was telling her how exciting it was seeing it at the cinema. And we didn't know what to expect. I I remember... One of my overwhelming memories is hurriedly eating a Thai curry, <laughs> thai curry. beforehand. I've never enjoyed Not being able to a relax. Thai curry less in my life. <laughs> and it was my favourite restaurant, my favourite meal. Nothing to do with the curry. No, I just didn't want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> um, the excitement of walking into that cinema. Having no idea what to expect other than we knew... <laughs> Can I just go back a little bit before we went to the cinema? Because my main memory of that night is that you came around to my flat beforehand and we watched uh, another programme that aired in November 2013 to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, which was An Adventure in Space and Time by Mark Gatiss, which introduced the world to David Bradley as Mm. the first Doctor, or William Hartnell, depending on your point of view. (laughs) Um and we were really i remember we were talking before we left the house about how he's not going to pull it off he being mm-hmm. stephen moffat like the the expectations are too high mm. how could it you know how can it live up to the hype and will it be you know with, with time war and daleks and zygons it, will it be too much stuff will it be too much icing and not enough cake <laughs> um and i remember as we were leaving the house and we were so blown away by an adventure in space and time that you turned to me as we were leaving the house and said you know what that was the 50th. He said, <laughs> yeah. it, it, no, no matter how disappointing this, this episode is, I don't mind because we've had this big celebration of Doctor Who. Uh, and I still think that is one of the greatest... Well, I'll come back to that maybe. But yeah, I, I think that's a masterpiece, as is the Five-ish Doctors mm. reboot directed by Peter Davison. But nothing can compare to the, 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 the sheer mind-blowing wonder of day of the doctor is it the best ever doctor episode i was wondering the same thing myself because i often say i'll go back and endlessly re-watch mm. especially pertwee oh, and tom yeah. baker and you know sylvester mccoy patrick Troughton, quite a lot of the classic episodes um and often i don't re-watch modern doctor mm. who and maybe it's not been as long there are two stories that I will go back and rewatch happily every weekend, every night, if you want What's to. What's the second one? Human Nature. Oh, really? Mm. You see, and this is one of the reasons I don't endlessly rewatch New Who as much as Old Who. It's just because it's all so emotionally charged <laughs> that, in the best possible way, I find it a bit draining sometimes. Mm. And Human Nature is one of the best things ever put on television. Um, and the novel, which we may get to at some point, mm. is probably one of the best things ever put to print. Um, and yet, I have to be in a really... I couldn't watch it every day because it's just so emotionally intense that it really kind of takes a lot out of me. Yeah, it does. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> so, so the other one is The Day of the Doctor. You may have, you may have guessed <laughs> <No>. that. <laughs> and, like, even if you kind of strip aside all the wonderful things that happened in it, the complexity of the plot, the amazing actors it has performing in it, like, if Doctor Who had never been on air since 1989, and they said they were bringing it back for a film to celebrate the Mm. 50th anniversary, and this was a standalone, and actually they were going to have mainly new actors portraying the Doctor, I still think this would work. I think... I guess, that's the thing... Let's eat my fish fingers. <laughs> the fish um, fingers are very hot still. Yeah, at this I can't juncture. resist them. No, I know they're very Moorish, but we're, we're suffering through our art here. <laughs> and we are dipping them in custard. But I we, mean, I'm going to take a picture. We ish, we, we we wondered about just having like fish finger butties, like because that's like actual food. But it isn't. It's just children's food. So if you're going to 
if you're gonna eat fish fingers whilst talking about an eleventh doctor story, dip them in custard. Just just commit. We've got we got all pro plant based custard. It works it's, as well. It shouldn't. Yeah. Anyway, um, I've completely forgotten where we were. Oh yes, <laughs> the whole idea of um, the only reason I'm I'm hesitant to say that it's the best episode is because other episodes it's not the demons. <laughs> well, yeah, other episodes that are right up there for me, things like you could watch Eleventh Hour, you could watch Blink, you could watch Spearhead from Space with no notion of what Doctor Who is, and get it instantly, mm. understand the story, whereas Day of the Doctor. It's impossible for me to say because I don't remember a time before I liked Doctor Who. It's like one of my earliest memories. Um, and I think this requires... You don't need to be as big a nerd as we are, but I think you need a basic understanding of, you know, Time Lords and Daleks and or Unit. Or maybe... But maybe you don't. I don't know. I don't know how accessible it is as a standalone episode, but as a mega fan, I don't care. <laughs> I think Melanie got it, but then she did watch Christopher Eccleston and Day of the Tenant, so she kind of had knowledge of the Time War. Um, maybe you need. And you that probably context. mention it from time to time. <laughs> I probably do, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think, I don't know. I think you know, like in certain films, you just kind of accept the backstory, and yeah. you think, well, I don't know why this man has filled an island with dinosaurs, but that's what he says he's done. So. Fair enough, let's go to Jurassic Park. Because he um, had enough money to... <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he was from the Attenborough family. They were quite well off. But I think you could watch Day of the Doctor and kind of just accept the Time mm. War backstory and that this is a character that has multiple incarnations. And you might think, oh, it's a bit like James Bond and they've got all the James Bonds together, which, when I say it, sounds massively reductive to what James Who is. I can't believe you just said that. Sorry, (laughs) sounds massively reductive to what Doctor Who is because it's it's, it's a far superior thing to James Bond. And I'm sorry, I love James Bond for what it is, as much as I almost kind of hate James Bond for what it is. But... But Doctor Who is just <laughs> and in I a was, league of its own. I was about to say, God, imagine if they'd done novelizations of James Bond films. <laughs> imagine how terrible they'd be. And then I remembered that they are books yeah, by Ian Anyway, yeah. stop talking about James Bond. <laughs> I was thinking of, um, is it uh, the Lazarus experiment in the Doctor in the Sixth You like James Bond. James Bond? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so the episode, we haven't really. And of course, we can't talk about seeing it in 3D at the cinema without talking about the moment yeah. when the whole cinema gasped. I was telling my partner about that. I saw Melanie about that the other night. Um, when you watch it with somebody who hasn't seen it, but kind of knows Doctor mm. and knows Tom Baker, you kind of can't help but like grip their arm in anticipation, like, it's coming, it's coming. I don't think it's a spoiler to say 10 years after the fact that Tom Baker shows up at the end of Day of the Doctor. Um, but at the time radio silence on that all the doctors all the living doctors apart from christopher eccleston who um hates doctor who <laughs> no, he doesn't. he's back doing big finish and he seems to be having the time of his life and i read his book actually i love the bones of you which is really touching uh all about his relationship with his father um and but then he talks about watching doctor who with his own kids mm. and it's so sweet and you can sort of see him coming back to loving that world but yeah but and in a, in a roundabout sort of way, it's because Christopher Eccleston didn't want to do it that we ended up with the War Doctor character. And we got John Hurt, who is basically my favourite actor of all time, playing my favourite role of all time. It was all my Christmases come at once. I love the dedication in the front of the novel. It says, to John Hurt, who, who saved, saved oh, the day. Oh, actually, it's sadder than that. It's in memory of um, John yeah. Hurt, who saved the day because he'd passed away yeah. shortly before the book was published. Yeah. yeah. My God. I'm just so glad that we got to have John Hurt playing the Doctor mm. before he died. I mean, what a... Talk about a wish fulfilled. I mean, um, we have written books ourselves, and we used to talk about John oh, Hurt. If yeah. they ever did a movie of mm-hmm, one of our books, mm-hmm. unlikely as that may seem, <laughs> we used to talk about John Hurt playing one mm. of the characters in it. And This was a long time ago. Mm. Yeah, probably about 25 years ago. But <laughs> seeing him play the Doctor, he kind of did play that character oh, absolutely because yeah anyway but um also because when they announced that he was going to be in it all they said was he was playing the villain did they uh, announce it they before... announced 
he was a guest star, but he, I mean, surely everybody knows this, but the series before Day of the Doctor ended, what month did that go out? It was quite soon, quite near to November, wasn't like it? Like July? Yeah, we had a little bit of a wait, but the series ended on a cliffhanger with John Hurt turning up completely unexpected. And I knew, I thought, oh, here, and I, they'd already announced that he was the villain in the in the anniversary episode. Have they? Yeah. And I don't it, think I knew. I think it was a surprise to me when I first saw oh him in the episode. Because my reaction was, oh, no, that's such a shame. Obviously, it will be great to have John Hurt in Doctor Who in any capacity. <laughs> but I thought, what a missed opportunity having John Hurt in <laughs> Doctor Who, but not playing the Doctor. And then at the end of the name of the Doctor, you just get that moment where he turns around. He's like, oh, it's John Hurt. It's the villain from the... And then it just the title card comes up, introducing John Hurt as the Doctor. It's like the best <laughs> moment in television history ever. I, I genuinely think that was the first I knew of it. And wow. I just remember hearing the voice and thinking, but that's not surely. Mm. And then him turning around and like, oh my God. Which is really funny. But then I don't get Doctor Who magazine. So maybe if it had been announced in there, maybe maybe. it was Um, new to me. And maybe I didn't own the internet at the time and somehow (laughs) managed to avoid it. It was back in the dark dongle days. (laughs) Dongle days. (laughs) And um, it's quite funny because if you're a, a Stephen Moffat fan, who of course was the showrunner at the time and wrote, Day of the Doctor and Name of the Doctor in which John Hurt's Doctor appeared. Said the word Doctor a lot there. Um, he wrote a comedy series called Coupling in the early 2000s. Yeah. And there is, a, there is a joke in one of the episodes about the John Hurt moment. And they're actually referring to the famous scene in Alien. But um, I just thought that was really funny that the words John Hurt moment have taken on a new significance for me now in something written by Stephen Moffat, okay. who is an absolute genius. Yeah. And this novel, novelization, I should say. So when they brought back the target range in 2018, there were four books. Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> <laughs> Two Towers. The Adventures of Tom Bombadil. <laughs> yeah. That's only three. <laughs> Uh, Leaf by it's like chapter nine. <laughs> have you read it yet? I have, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. what did you think? I'll edit this out, obviously. <laughs> I loved it, uh, but it's a bigger conversation. It's a bigger conversation, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't see why you need to edit that out. it seems. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bloopers. <laughs> yes, yeah, so there was Rose uh, by Russell T. Davies, based on his episode. Of the same name. Um, they're all the same name. It's not like the good old Target days when they gave them silly... T- that This one we called Doctor Who and the Zygons and the Daleks and the Time War. <laughs> um, uh, there was The Christmas Invasion, which is a Russell script novelised by Jenny T. Colgan. And there was Twice Upon a Time, another Stephen Moffat episode novelised by Paul Cornell, who wrote Human Nature that we mentioned earlier. Anyway, you don't need to know any of that. But And we've discussed Rose in depth on our first <laughs> series um and we talked about how and i said and maybe this is sacrilegious still a year and a bit later that i think that that book as a, as a thing as a piece of art is actually better than the episode itself oh yeah totally um but it is a novelization of that episode it's it's that same story told in in writing uh and you know i would say if someone the world's a different place now and everyone you know the the boundaries between old doctor who and new doctor who are completely non-existent really i think to a kid watching now you know david the first run of david tennant is old doctor who you know, oh, there's totally, no, you know yeah um and they probably can't tell the difference between like i'm trying to think uh, rise of the cybermen and revenge of the cybermen well i was watching rose recently and i noticed how dated all the cars look <laughs> yeah. you know what it's not that different to survival which was the last mm. episode of the classic run which oh, we're adding the gap seems 89 like nothing now i know like, in, well, in comparison it's how been... long was it off because it's, it's been back for 18 years it was off for 14 and it was, years yeah so yeah. it's been it's been here longer than it's been away yeah um, which which is an encouraging <laughs> statistic and with and the lots TV more to come in, this, in the middle yeah not yeah. we can't forget paul mcgann um, and Stephen Moffat certainly doesn't forget Paul McGann. The re- the, for those who don't know, the reading I did at the beginning, um, the Doctor that's speaking there is Paul McGann's Doctor, um, because not only did we get the Day of the Doctor, we also got mm. a little bonus mini-episode, The Night of the Doctor, yeah. which is Paul McGann's swan song. Which I love mm. how it's incorporated into the book as part yeah. of the story. I mean, 
it's quite a huge chunk of the story. Mm. When I was listening to the audiobook, it's kind of like episode length. Mm, um, mm. You know, it's, it's a really significant part. And Nicholas Briggs voices Paul McGann's Doctor so well, he really inhabits. Yeah, I like... I. I was reluctant to the audiobook when i first i, I read it when you it were, first came weren't out. you and yeah. i because it's so well we'll get we'll get on to this uh i think it, this is a book that you have to read i think um like the rose audiobook by um camille kajuri oh, fantastic yeah. her ninth doctor is a bit funny but um but then it's part of the charm nick briggs's clara is um sounds suspiciously like she's from yorkshire and not blackpool <laughs> but there you go we'll forgive you nick <laughs> I do like his John Hurt voice, though. Oh, it's but, great. Um, but back to what was, Rose, you know, what I was going to say, if someone was a fan of old Doctor Who, whatever that means these days, and wasn't sure about new Doctor Who, I'd give them the Rose novelization and say, read this instead of watching the episode. And it's that perfect transition because it's, it's as I say, it's the same story, but there's so much more. It's bigger on the inside. I'm not going to go on about Rose because we talked about it at length um, last year and go and listen to that. But um the Day of the Doctor novelization is very different. Mm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say read this instead of watching the episode. No, but and it, this is a really weird thing to say. I'm trying to sort of order my thoughts on this. I'm so blown away by this book, which is, I think, I have a soft spot for the Curse of Fenric. <laughs> uh, that's a contender for the best Target novelization. But I think this is easily the best Target book ever. Now, um, objectively, I would say it is definitively the best in mm. terms of writing. It's very prosaic, mm. and that's not always something used to seeing from Target. And there's a lot of charm to the kind of, you know, more pulpy Terrence mm, Dix mm, books, mm. which are, are a wonder in themselves, and yeah. the more kind of pacey the that prose. a lot of people will do. Uh, but the... This is a novel. This this it could is, be yeah. a Douglas Adams novel. That, yeah, so I, I hesitate because it's very atypical of a Target book. Mm. Um, whereas Curse of Fenric, it, to me, is like that. It does the, the perfect Target thing of that it, it retells the story exactly as seen on television in quite a lean way. And yet it's full of so much additional information. Mm. Like there's letters from Bram Stoker in there, <laughs> bits of Norse mythology. And it's so well written and actually scary in places. But anyway, so whilst this is atypical, it's it's the best. Uh, and I, I genuinely, I know it's an acquired taste, but um, I think it's one of the best books ever written. And yeah, I, think I would agree. There is there's real poetry in it, and there's real darkness in it. But there's like it's so humorous as well. But I wouldn't, and it's at times I can't quite believe I'm reading a novelization of Day of the Doctor because it feels supplementary. Now, I don't mean that in a, as a backhanded compliment. It feels like, for example, uh, there's a scene in the episode we get, because of course David Tennant came back as the 10th Doctor. Uh, and the first. Now the listenership will go up with mention <laughs> Tennant. <laughs> when we're first introduced to that character, he's on a picnic with Queen Elizabeth I. We get the backstory to that here, and it's not just how he infiltrated her court as a spy. We even go back further than that, and when he's with River Song, planning to get into her court and infiltrate, and there's everything is kind of there's backstory and and whatever the what's post story like there's and and stuff going on in between that you didn't see on screen and it feels like it feels extra like this is bonus content to Day of the Doctor, but it's so sneaky that. Target books at their worst, and I have just read a very bad one, I have to say. And I love them all. I even love the bad ones. But Target books at their worst are, they take the stage direction, but the Doctor walked over to the button and pressed it. Then the TARDIS doors opened, and then the Dalek shot at them. That's it. And at its best, it's more poetic. Whereas this is something else entirely. It's so... There are points where I didn't realise that I was reading a description of a scene that I'd already watched because it was so mm. differently told. Now, there's something that we do quite a lot in A Book at Breakfast, and usually you're the one that's kind of guilty slash responsible for it, and that's make... Well, there's a few things. One of them is make everything about Doctor Who. Now, <laughs> we can't be too guilty of that in this episode because this is an episode about Doctor Who. The other is make everything about Tolkien, but normally that's you. And you now, did it. I'm going to do it now. <laughs> for the second time. Yes. Uh, we've withdrawn on... We've touched on Leaf by Niggle, which mm. I've just read. And one of the things I was thinking about the Day of the Doctor 
is it's almost like Niggle's painting. So oh to retell God. a little bit of the story, I think of your average person Niggle. doesn't know. Yeah, mm. so give him a little. Yeah. It's a fantastic story. It's a story about a, a man who he's a perfectionist and he keeps trying to kind of freeze mm. out different bits of his life in order to work on his great masterpiece painting. Um, and he starts by painting a leaf and thinks that'll be sufficient, but the leaf grows into a tree, <laughs> yeah. grows into a whole forest, grows into a whole landscape, mm-hmm. but he's never quite satisfied. And one of the things I really love about it is it talks about the distant mountains that yes. he paints, but he can't Limps, quite access but, yeah. them. And then towards the end of the story, um, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't talk too much about how he gets there, because maybe we'll I, talk, we'll about, talk about it one day. Yeah, yeah, that'd but be nice. He he ends up effectively within a landscape that he realizes is his painting and he spends a lot of time making friends with his neighbor who's always kind of irked him who it turns out is a really good gardener and he helps him like build the painting by gardening and there's a really lovely message in there but at the end they go their separate ways and the neighbor parish stays in the forest Mm. and niggle goes off into the mountains which have hitherto been kind of inaccessible to him and i really love that idea about the things that are kind of on the fringes of what you yes. see that are in the corner of your eye that you can't access. There's a whole world out mm. there and you're just getting a tantalising glimpse of it. And that's what the episode of Day of the Doctor to the book feels like to me. The episode yes. is a tantalising glimpse and it's a wonderful thing in its own right. It's not to diminish it by calling it no, a tantalising no, no. glimpse, but the book is like, walking beyond what you can see what you can behold on the surface into the painting yes. and seeing all that depth and getting like a, all that mystery like a 3d all Gallifreyan painting yeah well, yeah exactly it's, yes yeah and i've not really thought of the obvious analogy because this is a story that is heavily revolving around paintings yes. and the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the setup is that the well, one of the many setups yeah. to one of the many plot strands <laughs> is that the national gallery houses an under gallery full oh. of paintings that unit are storing on behalf of the doctor slash queen elizabeth (laughs) which are 3d and which monsters escape from Um, oh glasses smashed from the inside god it's so and i mentioned before about our concerns about there are so many elements to it will it work will it be a mess and yet it's so cohesive Mm. and you know, it doesn't even feel it, it. It must be about an hour and a half long. The episode. It doesn't feel overly long. It's seventy-five minutes. Oh, right. Which is kind of the standard film length. Yeah. Like most kids' films, I think are about seventy-five minutes. Not that this is a kids' film, but like the um, the book certainly isn't. Some of the books no, are well, well, yeah. The book is two hundred and thirty-one pages long. It's pretty tiny is, print though for a target, but it's book. very small print. I think it's probably about twice the length of a standard target book, which usually. At just least. over a hundred, yeah. Um, but also, it's very. There's so much going on in this book. But f- considering how much is in it, and how much happens, and how complex it is, it's amazing that it's as lean as it is. Yeah. Even for probably the longest ever target book, um, and it. Well, if you open it after the um, incredibly touching but also heartbreaking dedication to John Hurt. You get the contents page, and as Mark mentioned, the first chapter is Night of the Doctor, um, except it isn't the first chapter. It's, it's actually chapter eight. eight, which I love because it's a chapter about the eighth <laughs> Doctor, um, Flight of the Doctor. I wonder if that's, uh, is that um, Elizabethan England, or is that... No, it's Matt Smith. Of course, because the target, yeah. good, yeah, because so that's chapter 11, mm-hmm. and chapter 10 is the love of the Doctor when the 10th Doctor comes into it. Very good. <laughs> um and on the one hand, it seems gimmicky, and it is because Stephen Moffat can never tell a story in order. <laughs> but it's actually incredibly clever because we we talked earlier about well, where in all seriousness, where do you place Day of the yeah. Doctor? Obviously, it comes at the end of Matt Smith's third season, and it's and then in the next story chronologically, his Doctor regenerates, and we get Peter Capaldi's first season. And yet, a huge element of the story is that it's it's John Hurt's war doctor about to do this terrible thing and then the moment i'm not going to explain what the moment is because if you're listening to this i'm just going to assume that you've you've seen the episode uh um obviously it's been 10 years we're going to spoil the episode to death but not going to spoil the book and that might sound odd because how could there be spoilers in a book that's based on a tv show you've already seen but there are 
lovely little things that I wouldn't want to spoil for first-time readers. In many ways, well, the Doctor is the main character, but in many ways the War Doctor is the main character because he's about to do this terrible thing, but the moment says that his punishment will be to live on and she shows him this is the man you will become so and you kind of think hang on is she saying that everything we've seen hitherto from rose onwards is a is a projection of a potential future mm. which ultimately you know it's a bit like um christmas carol uh bad wolf uh you know the, the moment is the ghost of christmas specials yet to come it's very christmas carol it, it only really occurred to me watching it again recently mm. how much of the debt it owes to a christmas carol and it has that again to borrow a tolkien word that kind of you catastrophic moment at the end uh of him deciding not to murder all these people and, and be the doctor is like scrooge waking up and going hey yeah. i'm i'm you know i'm me again and um but the idea that ultimately having seen the men man he will become he decides to do it anyway so everything is fixed but it's like where does it so how do you tell that story that begins with the eighth doctor and then goes to the eleventh doctor but then flashes back to the tenth doctor and then flashes back to uh, a secret incarnation between the eighth and ninth that wasn't numbered but and going back to what you were saying about the the standard and no disrespect to terence Dix, who i can't believe we're on our fourth episode about target a target book and we still haven't done a terence Dix book and he is he is the man when it comes to target novelizations we need to remedy that we do and we owe him so much you know doctor who owes him so much uh and the world of doctor who books owes him so much and he was such a wonderful writer and a, a lovely man um and and i don't say this as an insult but we've described his ratatat prose and sometimes he is phenomenal and there are certain books where he was phoning it in and you can tell that. And I think even he would have admitted that. He wrote like 53 of them in over the course of 20 years. And that was writing television and other books as well. You know, the guy wrote a book a month. He was, he's, he's my idol. <laughs> I even, I, there was a Blu-ray extra about him on one of the recent John Pertwee box sets. Uh, and I think we've mentioned this before, actually. And uh, Frank Skinner goes to his widow's mm. house and she shows him... Terence's office and all his stuff is still there and it has his rules for writing and I was kind of inspired by them so I wrote them down and copied them for myself but uh, and I actually think one of his best target novelizations is The Three Doctors and we've kind of we've lovingly mentioned that on this show before as an example of how something can sound incredible in print and then when when you watch the uh, the sort of polystyrene or bubble wrap monsters on screen it's not you know and that is a that book is a fantastic preservation of well what in many ways was the f the first anniversary episode because it it aired in 73 I don't think it aired in November, but it was the 10th anniversary of Doctor Who. And it was a three Doctor story, yeah. like Day of the Doctor. But It set the precedent. It certainly did. Well, there's a reference to it in this, isn't there, where Kate Lethbridge-Stewart says, um, check um, codename Cromer. For, there's, a, there's a precedent for more than one incarnation of the Doctor being present. Um, but, um, but when Terence Dix wrote multi-Doctor stories, it was very much... The first Doctor did this, and then the second Doctor said this. And he talks about them as if they're different people, different characters within the scene. And that's fair enough, because, you know, each incarnation of the Doctor is played by a different actor, and they, they, they bring their own Je ne sais quoi. character to it. Each Doctor has his own person, well, has their own personality, I should say. But, um, but what Stephen Moffat knows and does so well is that there, there is only one doctor and just because their face changes occasionally or their body or their you know it's the same person it's the same time lord or or whatever you know um and stephen moffat knows that and the doctor doesn't think of themselves as a number <laughs> and that's the prisoner but you know what i mean <laughs> and and some of the scenes in this book i mean there's a scene where the war doctor the 10th and 11th doctors are locked in a dungeon together and a lesser writer would have written that as three characters but what Stephen Moffat does and it really is absolute genius is to write it all from a single perspective yeah. but as a man who goes to that room three times and relives the same conversation each time it, it's phenomenal and and 
there is a point we'll have a tea break in a minute um but we'll and we'll talk about this when we get back from the break but the um i want to say narrator that's not really the right word for there there is a strong narrative voice i guess it is narrator i feel like um hang on archivist might be a better word there there is a sort of narrative voice in this book that presents itself as a kind of archivist who is presenting each chapter or most of the chapters are from documents called the doctor papers Mm -hmm. which are relating the events of uh the zygon invasion of earth or attempted zygon invasion of earth um and the archivist this character is never referred to as the archivist, but I'm I'm going with it. The archivist frequently invites us to guess at the authorship of certain chapters. And even when it's the doctor, they invite us to guess which doctor. And it's not always immediately mm. obvious. And what's amazing is that sometimes you, you're certain that you're hearing the war doctor's voice. But then you realize he's talking about it in past tense and it's actually the 11th doctor. Because there is no 11th or 10th or war or fugitive it's just the doctor. Help me, please. Can anybody hear me? Please state the nature of your ailment or injury. I'm not injured, I'm crashing. Don't need a doctor. A clear statement of your symptoms will help us provide the medical practitioner appropriate to your individual needs. I'm trying to send a distress signal. Stop talking about doctors. I'm a doctor. But probably not the one you're expecting. When the doctor heard that cry for help, there would have been countless billions across the universe suffering in exactly the same way. But this young woman had an advantage over all the others who in that same moment were also screaming and begging for their lives. She happened to be in the earshot of a man who mistook himself for a hero. (laughs) The doctor had always loved distress calls. They appealed to his vanity. He lived for the thrill of stepping through a door and seeing all those faces turn towards him in hope and wonder. The danger, too, was delicious. More than delicious. Over time, it had become necessary. Danger is the only true palliative for a guilty man, and certainly the only drug strong enough for the doctor. Setting aside his tea, it took him seconds to track the signal to a little gunship tumbling towards a red planet. There was one sign of life on board, and all the engines were phasing. Clearly, there was no possibility of deflecting the ship's course, and a tractor beam would almost certainly shatter the hull, so a manual extraction was the only possibility. He would have to materialise on board, introduce himself as dramatically as possible, and get her into the TARDIS. She would be so happy and excited to see him. He wondered briefly how it would look if he took his teacup with him, but decided the risk of spillage was too great. Well, we're back, and I didn't care about the risk of spillage. We're leaning here, looking as cool as we possibly can, with our collars turned up in a in a way that we hope people will describe as Byronic, <laughs> um, with our teacups. Um, that was I'm back in chapter one or chapter eight, the night of the Doctor, um, and it could be, I normally try and make some notes ahead of these conversations, but I said to you earlier, I didn't even bookmark anything because every bit of this book is just fabulous it's so beautifully written and i can't believe obviously i can believe it because Stephen moffat's been a professional writer all his life but this is his first novel Mm. and it doesn't show you know it's so expertly embraces the medium it's not as we've discussed the you know target books at their poorest can be just um screenplay teleplays rather with with tenses changed and (laughs) the word said peppered in throughout but um and we even get, uh, if you remember back uh, in May when we were talking about Doctor Who and the Demons, that begins with our, one of our favourites, Doctor Who was a happy man. The and reference. you get you get an inversion yeah. of that. On the day I killed him, the Doctor was a happy man. <laughs> and this is, precedes the, the teacup scene. Which is a, though since what made him happy was a distress call from a terrified woman who died less than seven minutes later, my conscience is clear. So instantly... And I mentioned earlier that there is a sort of archivist narrator who invites us to guess who the author is. So when I'm first reading that, the tone, as you probably gathered from the bit I read earlier, is so disdainful, so uh, so much hatred and scorn poured towards the Doctor and this, this idea of this vain, ridiculous man who thinks he's a hero. Uh, and I thought, 
that perhaps it was the master narrating this chapter. Especially, there's another reference to um, how he's killed the doctor multiple times before. I thought, well, it must be the master. Um, what did you think? I had so many thoughts about who the narrator could be that I don't think they're capturable. <laughs> Fair enough. It's like the mountains in uh, Niggle's painting. It's too abstract. <laughs> but what I did really like from these opening pages is we almost get a glimpse into maybe not what the character of the Doctor would have become if Paul McGann had been allowed to play it out on screen, but what he needed to become in order to lay the foundations. In this case, the John Hurt, but I actually think it really links to Christopher Eccleston. Um, Yes, the whole PTSD, survivor's guilt thing of that character. But also a resistance of the pomposity Mm. and the sense of the doctor believing in his own legend yeah well is portrayed in this you know there is a dash of arrogance that kind of like quaffed hero Mm -hmm. about this um and i really like that i think it's really necessary it's a really kind of key building block to fit in yeah link so you've sort of given it away now but i didn't see this coming which is quite funny and as i said we will try and keep this we're assuming that you've seen the, the TV episode, but I will more or less try and keep it spoiler-free for the book, but we are going to spoil the end of the first or eighth chapter uh, when it's just after the bit Mark read at the beginning of the episode where the eighth Doctor has drunk, which, again, you may have, you may not have seen because it was in a, a sort of a prequel mini-episode that wasn't a part of the actual episode itself where Paul McGann's doctor after God knows how many years, was it 17 years, finally got his regeneration scene. But he didn't regenerate into the doctor. We thought Mm. Um, where the doctor renounces being the doctor drinks the poison, which we later find out in this book was, is it lemonade? (laughs) I can't remember. Yeah. I think it's the moment Asahila, what, what was the poison he drank to not become the doctor anymore? He said, Oh, it was lemonade. Um, and that reminds me actually of last month's episode when we were talking about um, her fearful symmetry and the whole thing with um, Martin and the pills. Yeah. And how, yes. it, I, of course, he knows yeah. what they are. He's the placebo. Yeah. But it's, we were talking about it's sort of like the anti placebo where somebody knows something isn't real or, you know what I mean? They go along with it, but it's almost like they're tricking themselves. And it's, it's the point they make later on in this novel novelization where they say what well, he had to have some arbitrary thing to allow himself <laughs> yeah. to believe but so, anyway so he's, he's taken the poison and then in martin's case i think the healing pill is that somebody cares but i can't remember if we said that in the episode i think like, we did mm. yeah but this isn't an episode no for <laughs> symmetry if you want that go back to last so we just get this, this you know all this 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 hatred and vitriol and then on a rate it says There is a moment after regeneration when the guttering soul of the old man looks out through the eyes of the new. So it was the doctor who looked into that mirror, but it was me who looked back. And you realise it's the war doctor has been narrating this the whole time. This is the person who who has given up the name, but it's all, as we discussed, it's all just the same person. And this is uh, something that Stephen Moffat carries over into you know at this point we're only two episodes we've only got two episodes of matt smith left to go the peter capaldi era is about to begin and just to stray from the book a second that moment at the cinema where (laughs) all 12 doctors uh no all all 13 13, and you did get a glimpse of peter capaldi that was electric um and again it's very interesting how that scene is told in the book because that's just a a cool visual thrill which how do you put that in a novel? I think, you know, some of the worst target novelizations would, would say on the display screen, a pair, <laughs> a pair of fierce eyebrows appeared and a 13th doctor pulled a button on the TARDIS and helped save the, no. And I, Stephen Moffat's cleverer than that. And he knows, okay, similarly, again, spoilers, not really, but the epic and iconic scene of the Daleks smashing through the painting, not in the book, because I read an interview with him in Doctor Who magazine. He said, well, yeah, it looks great on screen, but how do you put <laughs> yeah. that in a book? Oh, and then a Dalek crashed through. A... So it's all done differently and more, you know, it, 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 it's a different, 
the same scenes but told from different perspectives yeah. and it's so cleverly That's done a good way to put it. and kind of like i was saying before how it doesn't really feel like a straight up retelling or novelization it feels sort of supplementary or more or like like you said one of one of niggle's leaves tacked around the edge of the great painting gallifrey falls no more but we're talking of peter capaldi the 12th doctor um a theme that sort of runs throughout his era is this idea well the 12th doctor's theme tune compo- composed by the incredible murray, murray gold, gold who's back yes. um is called a good man question mark mm. and that's something that the 12th doctor wrestles with very much off the back of day of the doctor i think like am i a good person mm. um and i think the thing with the doctor is that he tries to be uh and somebody says this i'm sure in one of the episodes bad people never stop to ask themselves whether or not they're bad yeah. <laughs> it's only good people who do that yes. and yeah. um and there's a wonderful observation at the end of this book in relation to all that i wouldn't say who says it or in what context but they say uh you know he thinks that the doctor is somebody the doctor isn't real the doctor is somebody he tries to be and he thinks that he fails at being the doctor and they say but he doesn't get it he is the doctor because he tries mm. and that's especially in peter capaldi's first season when he meets these ridiculous legends like robin hood and father christmas who the doctor says don't exist and yet there they are <laughs> and there's a wonderful exchange in robot of sherwood between robin hood and the doctor and the doctor says i'm not a hero and robin hood says well neither am i but if we pretend and just a little ha <laughs> uh, maybe others will be heroes in our name and and of course he meets father christmas and he's well this is ridiculous you can't possibly exist and then the joke is yeah but neither can a time traveling <laughs> scientist dressed in a musician with a, t- uh, a phone box that's bigger on the inside and when clara says uh, i've always believed in santa he just looked a little different to me oh, that idea yeah. of the doctor being well the idea that the doctor is an idea and it's so it's such a big concept to take on and one thing in our very first doctor who episode on rose i pointed listeners in the direction of a wonderful mark gatiss documentary about target books and there's a little interview with russell t davies on that where he says you can never write from the doctor's point of view he must be mysterious and unknowable and and he said but also if it's a kind of you know monster of the week invasion story he said the doctor knows everything and knows how to fix things he said the the hard part about writing doctor who is keeping the doctor away from the solution (laughs) long enough to have a a story play out and it takes real skill to and i've read some doctor who books that are first person doctor's perspective and they get boring they 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 reduce the character (laughs) obviously yeah so (laughs) what i'm saying is that but this is like so skillfully done it's not the first doctor said this the tenth doctor said this and it's not you know doctor who the hero it's such a dangerous thing to flirt with to show this character full of flaws and and vanity and self-hatred but it's framed with the idea the doctor is this kind of almost unattainable and ridiculous hero as he is to you or i and yet this person whoever they are is the doctor because they try i always think that stephen moffat and russell t davies politely and amusingly kind of spar you see them like commenting yeah. on each other's yeah, instagram yeah. sometimes and they have slightly different takes on very the doctor. very and yeah Russell, I I don't think like the never cruel, never cowardly thing, which I I think is a wonderful kind of benchmark yeah, moment, yeah. and I don't think Stephen Moffat uh, agrees with certain parts of Russell T Davies' portrayal of the Doctor, but they both respect each other's takes. But Russell has a way of showing you the Doctor's world through the eyes of the human beings, yeah, and Stephen Moffat brings some of that mythology back to the Doctor. And somehow the way he writes about the Doctor is flawed and human. And I always like yeah, that. The I like not human. I like it in real life when somebody can show their flaws and admit to it. And I think it makes them a stronger character. Yeah. And it's to the detriment and weakness of many of our politicians because they're mm. all rampant egotists who can't admit to the fault in anything they've done. But Stephen Moffat shows a flawed Doctor. And yet somehow manages to retain the mystery which is yeah one of the great gifts of this book what's amazing is some the narrative is all over the place and some bits as we've revealed are written first person from the doctor's perspective 
but sometimes the doctor writes about themselves in the third person and very occasionally it will just slip and it's sort of it's terrible writing 101 and it shouldn't work and yet it absolutely does yeah. every time the perspective shifts it's when the doctor mask drops yeah and it's i'm gonna say the war doctor or john hurt it's it's the person the person who is full of of doubt and 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 self-hatred and and ego and vanity um and and we all you know as individuals we all have that and it reminds me actually of a, something that occurs much later again in the 12th doctor's era uh in face the raven where just it's been a while but just in case anyone hasn't seen that i won't say what happens but something quite bad has happened and the doctor is threatening somebody asking them to undo it uh and they sort of and he's you know threatening to basically rain hell down upon them till the end of time and they sort of say doctor and he says i'm sorry the doctor isn't here you're stuck with me <laughs> and you think who is me and if you read day of the doctor that me creeps in there sometimes mm. there is a person and the mystery is completely retained we don't know who this person really is and we know that they're basically a psychopath and they would willingly drink poison to walk into the storm to commit genocide. They're full of rage and despair. And yet every day they're keeping that reined in and trying to be kind instead. I mean, that's why they have that promise. N you know, never be cruel, never be cowardly. You wouldn't need to make that promise if you had cruelty in you. Mm. And that that's what makes the, the Doctor such a compelling character. You know, in a way that the master is kind of more one-dimensional. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the master only gets really interesting as Missy when <laughs> she actually has some kind of duality about yeah, her. Yeah, that's very um, true. It's funny, I know, you started it, but back to the Lord of the Rings comparison. Um, the, the moment, you know, in, in many ways, Gandalf is a bit of a one-dimensional, whiter than white, especially later on, uh, good guy, angel, literally an angel character. And yet there is that, scene right at the beginning where frodo tries to give gandalf the ring and gandalf's like no don't i i want it and i would use it and be terrible and there's it's not in the film don't bloody give that to me is the line you're looking for no it's not in the book sorry i'm going going really late i think i think it's actually in, in a letter that tolkien wrote to somebody and he said if gandalf had used the ring he would have been worse than sauron mm. because he would have been righteous and i thought that's the doctor mm. that's somebody who has all this power and wants to be a force for good but has has ego and rage as well and there's the idea of the the moment as a weapon you know uh you know who would use a weapon that would stand in judgment against you there's only one ego in the universe <laughs> big enough to try it but um but yeah and he does so well of of kind of ironing out of the, 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 this notion of different versions of the doctor because it's just the same person putting on a bow tie or shoes and there's you know when the when the, the war doctor is observing his future selves and saying the desperation of the bow tie the affectation of of the converse like because i know who you are and and it's really well done going back to what you were saying about the, the playfulness between russell t davies and stephen moffat a, a, a great example of which was when it was announced that uh, Russell was returning as showrunner. Stephen Moffat's comment on his Instagram post, he said, uh, Doctor Who always brings the old monsters back. <laughs> yeah. um, and there's a wonderful bit in the second or possibly 11th chapter of Day of the Doctor um, where it, it, when you think about the end of time and the 11th hour, even though they're only one episode apart, but they're different eras, different seasons. And the way he glosses over these events... And you realise, yeah, there's, there's no 10th Doctor or 11th Doctor. It's just the Doctor. But also he does it in a way that there's a bit of ribbing of, of Russell T Davies going on here. He'd just had another massive falling out with the Master, who typically had gone and turned everyone in the world into a copy of himself. Cleverly saved an old friend from dying of radiation poisoning, started dying of radiation poisoning, <laughs> said goodbye to all his best friends because he was dying of radiation poisoning, died of radiation poisoning, regenerated, made a mental note to apologise to all his best friends for possibly overstating the situation with the radiation poisoning, destroyed a garden shed which had stupidly collided with his TARDIS during a largely successful emergency landing, met a new threm with orange hair, invented fish custard, had a stern word with some giant flying eyeballs who were mucking about on Earth for no good reason, and put an end to the mysterious plans of Prisoner Zero, Plans so mysterious, in fact, that no one ever found out what they were. <laughs> I love it. And I love that even though he's slightly, you know, mocking the pomposity 
uh, and grandeur of David Tennant's first of many regeneration <laughs> original the tenth Doctor's regeneration. Um, he ends actually. Mocking taking himself. mocking himself just as much if not more so with yeah what was prisoner zero <laughs> yeah. that, the point of that episode was never what prisoner zero was up to it was just the fact that he was on earth it was yeah. on earth but but still i love that like plants so mysterious <laughs> but it, you know that this book it veers from i mean that was very 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 douglas adamsy and it veers from whimsy like that to like incredible graveness and seriousness the whole thing about um the weird robot clown roaming mm. the corridors of the TARDIS. But then you find out that it's like a, a, a therapy AI bot yeah. for children to unload their, their grief to. And you realize that that's why the 11th Doctor has forgotten how many children there were mm. on Gallifrey. Because he's literally rewired, him and River rewire an electric a robotic clown to extract the memory from his brain. <laughs> so weird and quirky. But then... I just of all the you know the way Stephen Moffat writes, when uh, when the tenth and eleventh Doctors first encounter the the War Doctor, you get anyone lose a fez? That was my John Hurt voice. Said <laughs> uh, a voice. Said a voice like a silken rasp. The flesh of his face hung like the leather of his jacket, and his smoke-slitted eyes glittered like blades. What a description. But then it's kind of tragic later on when they realize that, that um, you know, in terms of what we were talking about before, about accountability and stuff and how, and the idea of being a hero and versus actually being a good man um, and how they want the war doctor, this, this, this incarnation that wasn't numbered or named the doctor to be a villain to be awful but then when they look back at him they think well he's actually quite nice mm. and he's brave and he's and then i think it's i think it's the 11th doctor realizes his eyes aren't like blades they're like wounds mm. and of course that's the brilliant thing and this isn't a spoiler because it's in the episode it's it's what it's all leading up to is the fact that clara realizes you haven't done it yet the the thing that they despise him for he hasn't done yet mm. and um and i love where you know when he says how do, how do you know and she says your eyes, you're so much younger than them. <laughs> it's just such a beautiful concept, you know. And um, But back to the sort of supplementary material, it goes from being really bleak to like kind of euphoria at the end where you have that moment on screen where all 12, no sir, all 13 doctors arrive to literally save the day. Um, and again, that's such a visual thing, just a load of TARDIS is pinging up. And, but the way he expands upon that, I mean, and this is kind of target books at their best. It's references, it's a little bit extra and it's real punch the air stuff. And it's all, you know, pepper with references to previous doctors. And uh, you've got the, the Time Lords watching on the screen. And for a moment, they said nothing. They just stood and stared up as the war-torn skies of Gallifrey were filled with a blizzard of police telephone boxes. And there's a list of, you know, uh, there's a list of disasters and descriptions of who's coming to save the people on the high seas and in towns burning and in villages being ripped apart by tornadoes and you and it reminds me actually you know in the rose episode when clive's going through mm. his box files and there are descriptions of what are blatantly previous doctors and and as fans you really go oh my god especially because we didn't get that on screen at the time and obviously day of the doctor was a massive love letter to all of doctor who but still and you got sort of like you know little visual cameos you know archive footage of past doctors but here you get just a little bit more you get there was a man with a ridiculous umbrella who evacuated a school as a mountain crumbled towards it and kept everyone laughing as they ran a gentle cricketer took command of a hospital on fire rescued the patients and completed an operation as the flames licked at the theater door a man with a cloud of white hair and a swirling cape stood on a beach and with a tiny silver rod froze the whole tsunami as it thundered towards the town. I think he was reversing the polarity. <laughs> a laughing joker in a colourful coat led a party of miners out of the tunnels that had come crashing down around them. Four children, trapped on the side of a cliff face, knew beyond doubt that no one was coming to their rescue. 
till the end of an absurdly long scarf dangled down right in front of them. I was everywhere I needed to be that day, across all my lives, and I believe I have never run so fast. If I sound proud, forgive me. It is the inverse of the shame I carried for so many years. This was the last day of the time war, but it was no longer the worst day of my life. Instead, this was the day the people of Gallifrey rose up and put 2.47 billion children safely to bed. This was the day I remembered who I was and swore never to forget again. This was the day of the Doctor. From all that doubt and and rage and insecurity to just being the Doctor. And I remember actually when they announced the title, it almost seemed kind of a bit gimmicky. <laughs> Not that I, you know, it's wonderful. He's like Day of the Daleks. But I thought, what what does that? What does the Day of the Doctor actually mean? But of course, it's it's the last day of the Time War. It's the day of of him realizing to just be the Doctor. And you get it again with Capaldi. The sort of I've realized I am I'm an idiot. You know, I'm a madman with a box. I'm not a hero. I'm not a warrior. I'm just a guy with a screwdriver passing through doing what he can and i can't believe we're doing it but back to tolkien you know uh all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us that brilliant gandalf quote and that idea of like being the doctor is kind of it's a choice and it's about making the right choice and never being cruel and never being cowardly well anyway that's enough about day of the doctor for now um if you saw the episode and loved it but haven't read this book you must it's an absolute essential for your for your doctor who shelves it's it's just I, I, we've talked about it for an hour and i've barely even scratched the surface but it can't be described it can only be read or listened to by nicholas briggs i, d- I do enjoy his narration but there's so much in the narrative voice that i think to have it in your own head is is yeah go and go and get this book that's enough about day of the doctor but it's not enough about doctor who it is, after all, Hoovember, so we would be remiss not to be discussing more Target novels and more Doctor, Doctor Who, in, Who print in generally. There are so, quite a yeah. lot of Doctor Who books. There's the Virgin New Adventures, the New Series Adventures, the Classic Doctor's Adventures, the comic, the audiobooks. It's endless. So we're going to rifle through our collections and just talk to you non-stop about Doctor Who all November. We'll see you soon. <laughs>